0: Welcome back to a new episode of the Therapy Explained podcast. This week I'm joined by Rob Okofik, the co-founder of Inward Bound. Inward Bound offers psilocybin retreat programs in the Netherlands, with pre-screening and integration processing supported by their team of facilitators. As part of our talk, Rob explains what psilocybin is and the recent resurgence in its use therapeutically, particularly in light of growing research supporting its benefits. Rob speaks about how safe it is as a substance, but also the risks that do come with it, as well as who it may not be recommended for. Although different for everyone, Rob gives an overview of what a typical experience is like and how to best prepare for it.
1: Hey Rob. Morning James.
0: Thanks for uh, joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me on board.
0: My pleasure Rob, it's really eager to talk to you and the work that you do at the Inward Bound Institute uh, where today we're going to talk about I guess the work that you primarily do which would be psilocybin assisted psychotherapy.
1: Psilocybin assisted therapy yeah, in the Netherlands we work in group, a group setting in, in the in the Netherlands using psilocybin
0: if we kind of break that down and take one step at a time, if you wouldn't mind starting off by explaining what psilocybin is.
1: So psilocybin is the active compound in, in found in a variety of species of, of mushrooms and truffles around the world. It's a classic psychedelic that works on the serotonin system. It's been used, psychedelic is the term meaning mind manifesting, or in the past it was called hallucinogen, Though that word is no longer used too much. Um, and it, there's a long history in indigenous societies, including the Mazatecs of Mexico and probably elsewhere, of using psilocybin for some form of um, yeah you know, in their in their indigenous traditions. And in the past three or four decades, there's been a huge resurgence, particularly since probably 2015. There's been a massive resurgence in the therapeutic potential of psilocybin. Um, there's a lot of science from leading. It, World-leading research institutions like John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Imperial College London, um, and, and many other research universities, looking at the different therapeutic potentials of psilocybin. And so far, the research has been very promising.
0: Why do you think there has been such a surge since it's for quite a specific year, twenty fifteen?
1: Yeah, that was. Uh, it, it's as a result of the. Uh, uh, hiatus from the first wave of psychedelic research in the 1960s um, there was a political uh, reaction to that led by Richard Nixon and f- so for about between the 70s really and the early 2000s there was more or less a complete shutdown in the research done um, but then 2015 I picked it was actually before that it was Roland Griffiths uh, Professor Roland Griffiths at John Hopkins began um probably around or, yeah, or in the 2000s, began to research psychedelics again, particularly psilocybin. Likewise, uh, Robin, Robin carhart um, from the Imperial College London, um, you know they began their research about 10, 15 years ago, this new generation of research using modern neuroscience, neuro, neuroimaging, and um, the outcome of those papers um, showed the potential for psilocybin to help many different um, issues, including treatment-resistant depression. And as a result of that, there's been more or less an explosion of research, scientific research, into the the therapeutic potential of psilocybin.
0: There's two questions that are coming out. I wonder why psilocybin? Why was that chosen? And how? how does it enhance the practice of therapy?
1: Well, good question. I suppose the first wave of psychedelic research in the 1960s was primarily based on LSD. And there was a lot of research and it showed great potential for LSD, the therapeutic potential of LSD. I think the main reason that psilocybin has become more popular is primarily down to ease of use. Um, it, generally speaking, a, a psilocybin uh, trip will last, you know, four to eight hours maximum, where an LSD trip might last up to 16. So simply from the perspective of, you know, difficulty of, of use from a therapeutic perspective i think that's one of the main reasons psilocybin has been uh, chosen but also down to the, the specific effects of psilocybin i would say
0: and as far as i'm aware um the, there's a famous study done by professor not probably about i don't know maybe 20 years ago now that yeah. i think psilocybin i'm not sure was it psilocybin or magic mushrooms that he had down as but it was considered the safest of all the drugs that were done in the study, which included like alcohol, tobacco, heroin, like all the range of kind of common drugs. So so it's milder and presumably quite safer as well.
1: Yes, generally speaking, physiologically, psilocybin is extremely safe. There's very few neurotoxic effects. There are some contraindications, but not too many. Um, And there are some people who shouldn't work with psilocybin, which maybe we can talk about later. But generally speaking, psilocybin has shown a very um, good safety profile. And yeah, Professor David Nutt did publish that study. It showed psilocybin to be extremely safe in in, in comparison to most other drugs.
0: This might be a a tricky question to answer, but do you know how it seems to help or enhance therapy?
1: Yeah, so um, the classic psychedelics all have a similar mechanism of action. They work in the serotonin system. They're um, agonists which cause activity in serotonin receptors. Um, Most notably, they reset the default mode network. This is according to research done by Dr. Carhart-Harris at Imperial. So the default mode network is responsible for our sense of ego, our self, our thoughts. And in those neuroimaging studies at Imperial, it consistently showed that uh, psychedelics can significantly reduce default mode network activity. As does other activities such as uh, meditation and yoga. Um, But this correlates with the sense of ego dissolution. And uh, according to the research, this resetting of the default mode network could be linked to the antidepressant effect of psilocybin. There's other uh, effects as well, if you want me to go into them. but
0: mm, Yeah, <laughs> no, please do.
1: So some of the studies show that long-term effects of psilocybin can include um, changes in personality, behavior, and uh, to depression. It can, it can increase to a change in people's perception towards spirituality. It can have an effect on anxiety, well-being. Um, and it can have some impact, perhaps, on addictive tendencies as well. Um, there is some debate about what actually occurs, those changes, but one of the schools of thought is that um, high dose psilocybin can lead to a mystical experience, as in a sense of ego dissolution. And that um, it is this mystical type experience experience that, that actually has potential, has a very strong therapeutic potential.
0: Just going back to the the kind of use of it, uh, Rob, in my understanding, uh, I'm not sure you hear of microdosing as a form of biohacking. I might be getting those terminologies really wrong. I'm not sure is that LSD or psilocybin, but I guess it could be used in small doses in people. I think it's probably more of an American thing, particularly maybe Silicon Valley, where it can be used Mm -hmm. as, I'm not sure would it be a performance enhancer, but in a very general Mm way.
1: Yeah, so uh, microdosing means effectively using a very low dose of any, any substance, whether it's you know, usually LSD or psilocybin. Um, small dose meaning sub-perceptual, so you don't actually feel it. And um, it can have... Yeah, there's some, there's some debate on the research on this, you know, yeah. as to how effective it is, but anecdotally, anecdotally, it's certainly very popular, and many people are using it now. There's different protocols, like the Stamets Protocol, and... Um, and it based the basic idea is that it enhances your yeah your 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 functioning as a human being. Um, we don't work in, we don't really work with microdosing. We work. There's different ways of working with psilocybin. Um, there's microdosing. There's this psycholytic uh, school of thought, which was based on the original work of Dr. Stangroff, which was a low to medium dose of psilocybin in a psychotherapeutic setting. Um, in other words, you know, there will be a therapy session to one therapy session while the client was on uh, psilocybin actually lsd in, in the original research and this this research proved incredibly promising and uh, it showed some great great potential but for the most part that type of therapy with psilocybin is not being used primarily due to the cost and, and um, challenges of of you know holding space for a person for that number of hours and and running multiple sessions because that was what the model was based on and the third way of working then is is the what's called the psychedelic therapy um in in terms of Groff's later work where where it's done with higher doses in a group and that's more or less how we work
0: maybe if we could speak a little bit more about that about the type of interventions you do at the inward bound institute can you expand on that for me
1: yeah so our model is based on primarily on the work of dr stan groff who was uh, one of the leading pioneers in this field. He he did, back in the fifties and sixties, he did six thousand or sorry four thousand LSD um, psychedelic therapy sessions with clients, which he meticulously recorded. And he developed his method metho- 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 methodology over time, uh, based also on breath work. He developed holotropic breath work as a practice, using the breath to access the same same altered states of consciousness as psychedelics. And the way of working is usually uh, in a group, uh, and the method is people uh, using mindfuls and music to, to go inwards during the psychedelic experience. So the idea is instead of focusing outwards on the outward world, um, it's switching off the senses and allowing the space for someone to really go into themselves with, through the process of psilocybin, which is incredibly powerful. And usually that journey lasts between four to seven hours. <clears throat> Music and and setting, set and setting, and intention are a very important part of this work. Um, so that means, you know, mindset. So we screen our participants very carefully. Um, the setting as the environment, is is really really important, and then dosage is also very important. So getting those three things correct is a, is probably what leads to the most therapeutic outcomes.
0: I wonder if we could go through each of those in a little bit more detail, Rob, about the importance of them, the the screening, the setting and the dosage. Why is it so important to screen in advance?
1: Yeah, so there's we never say to anyone, you know, that this is for everyone. This type of, you know, psilocybin is for everyone. It's not. Um, There's certain people who shouldn't work with psychedelics. Um, They would be, generally speaking, people with poor ego defenses, like a poor lack of, sorry, lack of, of awareness of self. So, so someone, or lack of defined self. So, so someone with a history, either personally or in the family of psychosis, shouldn't work with, uh, psychedelics, um, people with a history of schizophrenia, yeah. um, probably bipolar, um, personality disorders, and. Um, and, yeah, we don't... We, in At Inward Bang we don't work with people with severe depression, not because it won't help them, but probably because they need more holding, they need more medical um, environments. It's very intense to work with people in, in that way. So it's not that it wouldn't be beneficial for them, it's that it's, it's more than we feel like we're, we want to be able to hold at this time. So we refer them to um to a medical, clinical setting.
0: You know, I don't want to kind focus on the, the risks that come in it because as you said it is a very safe thing and I'm sure a lot of work has been done to kind of break the stigma around it but I would be intrigued to know the risk if someone has a personality disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar and they were to take psilocybin.
1: I think it is really important to talk about the risks in any you know and, and we work very hard at mitigating risks or minimizing risks and um, so it's good to talk about them um the, the, with with any psychedelic there is there is a risk um and you know the risk is of someone having a psychotic episode um and or particularly in people with a family history of psychosis um that would be the main risk or having hallucinogen perceptual disorder where they continue the psychedelic experience after So research shows that to be extremely rare. So for example, a 2015 meta-analysis by a team from John Hopkins showed classic psychedelics to be um, surprisingly safe, and I'll just run you through the data here. So the study analyzed 191,000 people between 2008 and 2012 during the annual National Survey on Drug Use and Health. More than 13%, so 27,000 people, had used classic psychedelics at some point in their life. And the, the survey shows that the respondents who had used a classic psychedelic were nineteen percent less likely to have been in psychoda- psychological distress during the previous month, fourteen percent less likely to have suicidal thoughts over the last year, and twenty nine percent less likely to have made plans for suicide. So it just shows you that there is a risk, and the risk needs to be mitigated. We don't take, we don't work with vulnerable people, and by that I mean. We don't work with people who are desperate for, you know, who are emotionally unstable, who are actively battling addiction. Um, Because, not because we can't, we wouldn't be able to help them possibly, but because we feel to work with that level of intensity can be very difficult for us, first of all. Um, um, And we feel that, yeah, we refer them to some of the clinical trials, which are specifically dealing with, with those issues.
0: So you might work with more milder to moderate problems whereas these more severe and just need a more intensive intervention
1: or exactly a different form in the same treatment. way that you might with sex psychotherapy you might sometimes refer people that you know you don't feel yeah. comfortable holding we, we do the same we're very careful who we take we screen carefully um yeah and we also this is this is an important point as well we also work with people who don't have any uh, mental health diagnosis or mental health issues and a lot of our clients are the walking wounded, shall we say, the average person, the normal person who may have some childhood issues, who has some things they'd like to work with. Um, and most of our clients would fit in that category. So they're looking for, they're using psilocybin more for growth, self-growth, self-exploration, uh, rather than, you know, a medical issue or anything like that. We, we, don't, we're not that, we, we don't work in that way. Mm.
0: They might be the demographic that benefit the most from it, which is similar with a lot of type of therapies. You know, that kind of mild to moderate, you can get a lot more out of them. Thinking about the setting, can you expand on why that is so important?
1: Yeah. So Dr. Stangroff, the pioneer of this work, you know, just said that um, psychedelics were non-specific amplifiers of the psyche or subconscious. So that means whatever is a person, whatever the person has going on in their psyche, in their subconscious will be amplified during the psychedelic experience. Um, So that means the psychedelic experience is not always easy. So sometimes it can be very beautiful, it can be blissful, it can be incredible. Uh, Other times it can be very challenging. It can bring up anger, fear, sadness, uh, the whole range of human emotions. So um, it's important that the person feels safe, first of all. We spend a lot of time building, building safety our truths. Um and the environment obviously plays a big role in that. So we are very careful with how we build our environment, our setting. We have a lot of experience now, and a lot of amazing facilitators who are very trained in this area, and it does make a huge difference. You know, including music. Like music is a very large part of the psychedelic experience. So we create and curate certain. Um, lists and certain music to to influence and help people uh, depending on what they're dealing with to influence the album or help influence the album
0: and then finally dosage and um, i guess just to be specific about the dosage is it truffles is it mushrooms is it in a pill form you know how is it delivered
1: in the netherlands we work with psilocybin truffles because that's what's legal i would love to be working one day in ireland if, if that ever becomes legal obviously we don't at the moment. Um, and we work with truffles because that is what is legal there, um, there, are, there are companies beginning to synthesize psilocybin but that ra- that brings up a whole range of other issues, um, um, and generally speaking we work with med- medium to high doses of psilocybin so that depends on the, on the client and the body weight of the client and many other factors, so that's a co-creation of the client as to what dosage we choose. <clears throat>
0: How do you predict the potency of a truffle? Because it's organic rather than something that's made in a lab where it's very controlled, is it a fairly reliable prediction?
1: We have found that, yeah, generally speaking, the dosage has been very reliable. We have some very good uh, suppliers and sources, and some of them base their growing on, on cloning, so you're you're guaranteed a more or less stable genetic uh, population. And so far we've, we've never had really any problems with, with that. Yeah, the dosage has been pretty consistent
0: mm-hmm. just going back to the interventions that you do so is there any kind of therapeutic intervention on behalf of let's say those that facilitate the groups or is it more kind of like you're holding the space setting it up and you know the combination of the person and the psilocybin
1: does the work well so we use, we use a, a variety of a whole variety of therapeutic tools at this stage um it, generally speaking during the during the psychedelic experience it, it's the person's own journey. Now, we do have certain interventions that we use. Um, Graf believed in the wisdom of the own inner healer of the of the, of the the client and Jung talked about, you know, the self-regulating mechanism of the psyche. So there is, it, it is in some ways it's between the client and, and their journey into their own psyche. However, we, we do a huge amount of preparation, getting people to that stage and ready for that. Um, and we use a whole range of therapeutic tools, from acceptance to commitment therapy, um, which we begin to integrate more on our, on our journeys. Um, uh, authentic relating, movement, yoga, dance, meditation. Um, there's a whole spec, transpersonal therapy. Um, depending on what the person needs and the language that they resonate with, because we always meet people where they're at. So we use different tools for different people depending on what they need or what we feel like would be best for them
0: i'm sure that each person's experience is very specific to them but i'm wondering if you could extract typically what an experience for someone is like if there's a some form of rhyme or reason to it
1: yeah that's a hard question to answer because it is very different um if you're not familiar with the psychedelic experience it can last lasts about four to six hours um it can be quite intense, certainly in the first two hours. It usually peaks after about two to three hours and then it becomes gentler. Um, it begins usually with a, a form of ego dissolution. And people start seeing, typically start seeking, seeing patterns or fractals. And usually the work we do is very physical. So psilocybin actually allows people to feel what's going on in their bodies deeper. It allows them to unlock their psyche so for example it can allow people to feel very deeply things that they haven't been able to feel for a very long time so for that reason it's very helpful for trauma it can help people um, re-experience somatically in a a held space and to process perhaps things that were very difficult for them to process in the moment so we do a lot of inner child work people frequently go and have an experience of their inner child, which of course is very common in, in, in psychotherapy um, but in the psilocybin setting it's it's more visceral, it's more they actually go and uh, feel and experience that that child. so so it, ideally when that happens they come to a place of self-love. so psilocybin can really help with developing redeveloping self-love. So it's definitely a journey, and 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 there's many other potential outcomes as well. There's a whole map of consciousness that Jung and 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 Groff and these pioneers came up with, and we found people can can really go to these places. You know, um, it, like for example, Groff talked a lot, a lot about pre and perinatal psychology, so the, the birth trauma, and we, you know, the BPM one and BPM two. We we've witnessed that so often. People have 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 rebirthing experiences on our retreats. So where
0: they feel like they're re-experiencing their birth. Yeah, it's very common. Could you explain, because I've got a couple of questions that come to that, but just what ego, uh, is it ego dissolution?
1: Yeah, so ego dissolution means that, it's, it's. I suppose it's a form of mystical experience, or it's It's when the ego dissolves into a sense of something greater than self. So as in, it's an, an oceanic, oceanic feeling. Yeah. Um, it's a feeling when connected to absolutely everything in the universe, um, and you could say it's a spiritual or mystical experience for, for some people. But we don't impose that, that terminology, you know, um, on our clients. And it can be very it can be scary because the ego, of course, does not want to be dissolved. <laughs> uh, typically, um, but it when people have that type of oceanic ego dissolution, it tends to be an experience. A peak life experience as in something that they will never forget and in in many cases changes their whole view on life like for example i had a client recently and he had a call with them yesterday who came in a cheat a few months ago and he was very much very intelligent highly functioning smart guy and a very much a rational materialist like he he believed you know when you die you die and that's it and as a result of that he, he actually felt a lot of anxiety because Fear of death was very prevalent for him. You know, he feared that annihilation that death would bring. Now, on our psychedelic experience, our psilocybin experience, he he had this ego dissolution, this sense of something greater, this sense of connection. Um, and you know, we're always very careful not to impose our beliefs on on any client. But he came to the conclusion that well, maybe there is something beyond this. You know, this uh, this body, this self, and it. it he was currently processing. The worldview change you know the pretty radical worldview change that uh, this was bringing up in him in a beneficial way he was, he was beginning to feel less fear of death <laughs> less fear of you know annihilation and that well you know that we are connected to a greater
0: you know mythical experience and being drawn to mythical experiences is something that's extremely interesting i find at least and um it seems to be just be kind of part of the world i mean there's probably part reason why we've had religions for so long and even people who might be anti-religious like someone who's maybe very materialist very rational based they might still have these experiences which is so interesting It it's like well maybe there is something out there
1: yeah mystical experience is is huge you know and psychedelics i believe um again we don't impose our beliefs but my personal belief is that they and that you know they bring you into the transpersonal realms of psychology so typically, most models of the psyche from Freud onwards were based on the on the on the personal um, the personal subconscious, and that our personal biography is our life story is our is our therapeutic journey. The transpersonal ther- psychologists, starting with Jung, but then primarily with uh, Graf and others, believed that there were other realms of consciousness beyond the self um, and that it is possible to use different modalities, not just psychedelics. Breath can be used as well, holotropic breathwork, meditation, yoga, to help bring people into these other states of consciousness which are beyond the self, transpersonal. These types of experiences can range from pre- and perinatal psychology, so pre-verbal, in-the-womb type experiences even, birth experiences, to experiences of the collective unconscious, as Jung called it, um, experiences of um yeah many types of of of, uh spiritual experiences experiences beyond the self basically and psychedelics in particularly uh, can work in those realms Mm -hmm. with that in mind
0: rob people can have skewed expectations of therapy, plain old-fashioned therapy, and uh, never mind something that has the potential to have such a high ceiling. I'm wondering if some of uh, your clients that hold an expectation of having a transformational experience when maybe change is a bit subtler than that.
1: Yeah, and that's a really good question. And we never, these are things that can happen and f- and are frequently recorded in the scientific literature. So they're, you know, and I've experienced them myself. So I, they, <laughs> and our clients have experienced them. So they happen, but they don't happen for everyone. And we never we're very careful with this. This is very powerful work, so we we're very careful first to screen people, but also to let people know we can't predict the outcome of the psychedelic journey. Um, and and um, we never say to anyone, you know, come in our retreats and you will have this type of experience or you will fix or heal you or anything like that. We're very careful. We say, look, we don't know, and um, these are things that may happen. They may occur if you're lucky or if, or generally. Um, but we try and manage people's expectations in that way. We say, just look, set an intention, um, and then let go of the intention because trying to control the experience doesn't work either. Mm. Like trying to force the outcome doesn't work. There's a degree of surrender that, that needs... That, uh, there's a degree of surrender and also of purification that needs to occur to 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 have those type of experiences. Yeah in emdr i'm not sure if you're familiar
0: with emdr rob but it's something that i'm familiar with and i practice it um and from being immersed in the world of emdr it opened up a, a whole world of particularly ego states or kind of like a psychodynamic approach where we're made up of lots of parts and i wouldn't have really it's not that i wouldn't have believed in that before i just didn't really know about it a whole lot and um, but now i'm i'm all in i really believe that that's how our psyche is made up and we got all these parts and you'd be surprised that we all have these parts You can be gradually become more aware of them but you might even be surprised by the parts that you have and i think with therapies like a lot of trauma-based therapies and maybe the therapies that you're offering it helps to and a lot of these parts maybe predominantly are like defenses that keep us from feeling but keep us from being overwhelmed from those wounded inner children that would be an internal family systems uh taken at least um and that you can set an intention going into something but you don't know where it's going to go. It's like in EMDR, you trust the process, and it's like your brain or your body or whatever it is knows what it needs to do. And like bizarre stuff can come up, but it'll make sense. You're like, oh yeah, that that really fits. And I guess it's kind of similar. It's like
1: you're not really sure it's going to come up. It's the same, and I think I think in EMDR and family systems too, we're we're all accessing the same material, just in a in a slightly different way. And and probably the thing about psychedelics is they can soft, soften those ego defences a little bit more. They don't automatically mean that people are going to let their guard down, and we trust that if people decide their defences want to stay up and they don't want, people can stop the experience to a degree, and and that's okay if if they're not ready or don't want to, that's completely fine, you know. But it it's exactly the same terrain. I feel that we're working in just in different modalities and different ways, which I think is a helpful point to keep in mind that
0: you have to be prepared to let your defenses down that doesn't mean you can do that because those defenses will have a mind of their own they're almost autonomous they will say whether or not but you have to be you'll have some bit of autonomy that will maybe be open to that that for this to work i need to kind of just let be open to it which again as i said you can't you don't have complete control of it but it it might be something that you work towards and um, i'm wondering how you became involved in the world of psychedelic assisted therapy or especially because it's not like it's booming in Ireland, not sure how far away away we are from it. How did you get to where you are today?
1: Well, my own personal journey, I suppose. um, My background is I was an outdoor educator. Uh, I worked in mountains and rivers for many years to my 20s. Um, And through those times, I experienced some traumatic events, people dying close to me when I was there, you know, on rivers and things, really traumatic uh, situations. And I suppose my own healing journey, around that led me to plant medicine. So I lived in Maui, Hawaii about more than 10 years ago and I began my first experience with ayahuasca there. And that, you know, those experiences changed my life, I would say completely um, changed my perspective on life, my perspective on reality. Um, I then came back to Ireland and we began being guided, I suppose, back to to connecting with psilocybin here. which I had experimented with as a teenager, you know. Um, but t- as my own personal healing journey unfolded, I began training as a psychotherapist. I also trained as a transpersonal therapist over like a 10-year period. And I suppose I began working with different types of psychedelics, so on my own, on my own self, so primarily uh, ayahuasca and psilocybin, though others as well, and um, found them incredibly transformative agents of change. So I I realised how powerful these substances were in my own lived experience. And from that I began training and began um yeah, exploring the transpersonal realms, mystical realms, um and um eventually found myself uh, in the Netherlands, you know, working in this way, which I we've been doing that for more or less the past four years now. Four we've had several, we've had about five hundred people come through our retreats. the feedback has been has been incredible you know we still get emails from clients three years after their first retreat saying that retreat changed my life and it does for some people it doesn't for everyone we don't claim that but for some people it can really uh you know a psychedelic experience can change people's lives and it does require work though it's not that you take this substance and everything changes and suddenly you're this you know it's not that it's it's the psychedelic experience, can, it's offer a glimpse, I suppose, and it, it, it offers a reset. It, it shows the potential, and then it's up to you to kind of make the changes, the integration. So integration is huge. It's it's probably one of the main parts of this whole process is integration.
0: Mm. Could you expand on that, what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so integration means, I suppose, embodiment. So it's, okay, I've had these embodiment of the vision, embodiment of... of person you want to become behavior change um starting but you know so psychedelics can show you but then it's up to you to actually make those changes um it doesn't they they don't do the work for you in that way and that's a misconception sometimes people think oh i'll do this retreat and suddenly uh yeah it will change my life it it, it requires yeah degree of change change in the individual level um so we're actually yeah we're working on our integration programs at the moment to really deepen that and um, I think that's where a lot of the focus of this work is going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. So what you do post-therapy to yeah. help integrate what comes up. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering
0: how far away we, we are from psilocybin-assisted therapy being approved for use in Ireland.
1: Well, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for that. I know that um, Trinity College and Tallaght Hospital are currently doing a research trial with um, psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression that's been ongoing for a couple of years now. We have a good relationship with the team there. Um, but I don't know how far away I would say, you know, Ireland's a relatively conservative country. It won't move fast. Like MDMA is looking like being made legal in the States for therapeutic purposes in the next three years. Psilocybin probably a couple of years after that in the States and so maybe in five years, though it could happen quicker because Oregon have just legalized psilocybin for therapeutic use. I think so. Um, You know, maybe when America moves, Ireland will be a few years behind that. But I don't think it's any time soon. I don't think it's going to be the next. It won't be any sooner than five to ten years at the earliest. You know. Sure, we'll be waiting in the wings. And then one of the questions around, around that is around you know the biomedical model. Like so, there is a movement towards making this a purely medical intervention. Say you know only prescribed by psychiatrists in a hospital setting which I think has its purpose for sure, it's very important, but um, there's a huge realm of benefit of psilocybin outside the biomedical model. Um, working with people, first of all, who aren't, don't have mental health diagnoses, you know, the average person can benefit from this, and uh, also doing it in a ceremonial uh, traditional way rather than within the medical system. Mm. In terms of long-term use, how safe I I know it
0: depends on how frequently you use it and the doses that you take, but is it safe
1: to use it long term i yeah I mean there's been, I haven't seen any studies that show um, any 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 pitfalls of long term use. I mean like anything though you wouldn't want to be overusing we don't encourage people to overuse psychedelics like we say to our clients for some of them maybe this is a one off in, in a lifetime experience. Other people are drawn to, to working with it in a more regular way, and that's okay too. But as far as I've seen, there's been no studies showing damage from, from long term use in any way. And interestingly, you know, anecdotally, most of the pioneers of this work, so Stan Groff, um, Albert Hoffman, many of these guys lived, Das lived very, very long lives. So <laughs> maybe it's beneficial, who knows. And if someone was to look to,
0: um, I'm not sure what it would be called, go to the uh, your Institute, the Inward Bound Institute on a retreat or uh, I'm not sure it's a kind of single session uh, protocol, but what kind of preparation might they do to optimize their experience either at the time and post experience?
1: Well, psychotherapy and healing. So most of our clients are people who have had many years of previous experience in therapy, in different forms of therapy different schools of psychotherapy and I think that's really beneficial I think it's good to understand your psyche to understand yourself quite well coming in because I think it can be overwhelming for someone who hasn't really done any inner work so uh, preparation that's really helpful it's also helpful to have some form of meditation or yoga practice where you're aware at least of other states of consciousness and there was, a, there was a famous study done on a group of Buddhist meditators who meditators who, who came on a psilocybin retreat. And it was shown that the rates of anxiety within the group during the psychedelic experience was way le- lower than the average cohort because they were used to navigating, you know, these were Vipassana type meditators. They were able to, um, they were used to navigating altered states of consciousness and were able to deal with them. So those kind of things can be helpful. Mm,
0: they kind of lay the foundations, having those earlier experiences. It's opened it up a little bit more rather than someone who's coming in cold where it might be so new to them, which is no different with EMDR. You know, I work with some people. I work in rural Ireland. And for some people, it's like they've never even considered anything like this before. Where some people are very much up to speed in it. And I lean towards it being more beneficial for those people who are a little bit more aware of what it can do and how it works.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same. The fear can be, you know, very strong of people who don't know. who The fear of the unknown, I suppose you could say, is, is, can, be, can be strong. Would you have any kind of recommended reading materials, podcasts, YouTube channels for someone that wanted to, to learn more? I mean, there's so much to read in this field. The work of Stan Groff jumps out. Any work by Jung in terms of collective unconscious? Um, Would you have one book by Stan Groff, maybe as an introduction,
0: um, what might be the most digestible?
1: Uh... Yeah, maybe Realms of the Human Unconscious. Yeah, I think that could be a really good one. Off the top of my head, you know, the work of Terence McKenna. Um, We have on our Inward Bound YouTube, we have some material as well. You can have a look at that. The work of Tim Ferriss. He talks a lot, you know, he's got some great podcasts on this. Um, Yeah, there's just, this renaissance, there's so much material right now coming out in this. So this will be my third
0: podcast episode on... Formerly illicit drugs assisted therapy, so MDMA, ketamine, and uh, uh, psilocybin. Um, are there any other drugs that are that look like they might be beneficial in the assistance of therapy?
1: Well, there are, and they they're all typically have been used by indigenous traditions for for millennia. You know, so ayahuasca in Peru, and uh, which is a DMT uh, based uh, substance. Um, peyote in Mexico um, Huachuma, similar in, in Peru so there's there's many substances a boga for addiction in Africa boga is incredibly powerful they're all incredibly powerful agents of transformation they've been used by indigenous traditions for for millennia they can be challenging and um, there's, there's a, there is a whole host of ethical and uh, issues that are arising for the field um, there's no doubt about that. That these substances have a ter- have a very powerful therapeutic potential. It they do ra- raise uh, considerations, which that's why it's really good to have these conversations to spread awareness and to yeah you know, to be ready to move forward as a field when and if these substances do become legal.
0: <laughs> so if psilocybin is maybe ten years away from Ireland, these are probably twenty years away, because like I guess as we become more comfortable with them they might be i'm not sure if it's more potent it might be more have more potential but like most things the more powerful it is the the risks it also has exactly that's all we've got time for today rob i really appreciate you sharing your time and your your wisdom with us today
1: thanks very much thank you so much absolute pleasure